All right, so we are here at Organic Valley in Lafarge, Wisconsin, at the headquarters with Guy Jadarski, and uh, he's a staff veterinarian here, and he's uh, willing to take the time to kind of let us pick his brain and talk talk some shop here. So do you mind just starting off telling a little bit about yourself? Not at all. Uh, thanks, uh, Kyle. Um, so, yeah. I'm a veterinarian, and I've been in practice almost 30 years now, and I, I worked in conventional dairy practice most of when I, went, when I had a clinic, and uh, I was a partner in central Wisconsin with a, an area with a lot of dairy cattle. Uh, after that, I, I went and did some things in industry, uh, and, and then I ended up with Organic Valley about 10 years ago, started working part-time, and, and worked into it as a contractor, and now I'm full-time with Organic Valley as an employee for about five years. And so Organic Valley is a cooperative of 1,800 farmers, about 35 states across the country. And so we do a lot of traveling, working, educating farmers on how to raise their animals healthy without using antibiotics, hormones, that sort of thing. Very good. So are you actually treating or are you just on the more education side? At this point, I'm more in the educational mode. And so uh, I, I do see farms uh, in travels a little bit if they're having a, a herd issue, uh, troubleshooting different different uh, you know challenges. But for the most part, um, I take a lot of phone calls with farmers that would have a situation and they would wonder how to treat or they have a local veterinarian that's wondering what they can use and still stay organic. And so that's, that's pretty much what it is. More of an education uh, advising type of role now rather than directly uh, working on animals. Sure. Yeah. So did you have an organic focus prior to uh, coming on with Organic Valley? Well, not to start with because I was in a conventional practice for about mm -hmm. 12 years. And so we pretty much used all the drugs and everything. Worked with conventional farmers. I only knew of one organic farmer back in those days. and. Um, and But then over time when I was doing some other things, I ended up working for a couple of companies that did, uh, they supplied organic farmers. They, they made natural products and feed supplements. And so that I learned, I started to learn a lot more about it at that point. And I met some other people and one really key person, Dr. Paul Detloff, who's from Arcadia, Arcadia Wisconsin. And he's kind of a pioneer and uh, he kind of taught me a lot of this stuff and ended up started working with him in Organic Valley. And so now here we are. Wow. So is that a big phase shift for you, kind of going from conventional more to organic? In some ways, it's a different approach because, you know, uh, we do learn in vet school, we do learn about prevention, but really the focus is on treatment. And right. so you're learning a lot of drugs, you're learning surgeries, you're learning all these ways to deal with the problem. The but basic medical model. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, but you're right. You're board, right. Yeah, you know? it, you're right. It is a lot analogous to human health, very, yeah. much, very much so, yeah. And so um, but the organic approach is a lot more building the health into the system. And so, uh, you know, getting the animals so that you really don't have to use a lot of this stuff. Now, we do have alternatives that we can use, and we do mm -hmm. use. So, you know, there are things like garlic, which is antibacterial. So when you have an infection, instead of using antibiotics, sometimes we use garlic. But we really like to rather get to the core of the issue, like if it's a respiratory problem, do we need to fix the ventilation? Do we need to vaccinate more? That sort of thing. So we really want to prevent the problems. And the guys that have been at it a while really don't have a lot of trouble with their animals. Wow. So what are some of the biggest things that you talk about with the farmers when you're, you know, going and educating? What are some of the bigger topics that you cover and how to, you know, keep their herd healthy or... 
Yeah, so really, I we work with all. We do have an egg pool. We do have uh, meat animals, but my main focus is dairy. You know, the biggest portion of the of this cooperative is dairy, mm-hmm. and so we work with dairy farmers a lot. And and that and for for them, it's it's uh, the nutrition. Of course, so for all animals, it's the nutrition. Even ourselves, the nutrition is huge. You know, <laughs> yeah. And so the nutrition is a big one. Um, and then for cattle, the grazing. The grazing itself is very health promoting. You know, doing a good job with that at really. The exercise, the fresh air, the, the fresh feed, the lush feed, the green feed, that all that stuff builds the health. And then the step that goes a little bit further is, is working on the soil, you know, working on the mineral balance, the biology, the diversity, um, which is something you don't learn in vet school. You, know, you, yeah, don't, you, don't, yeah. make, you don't make that connection with the soil. You know, it, um, that took a long time for me to get to that point. Mm-hmm. The first time I heard a vet talking about soil, I go, well, why is this vet talking about soil but in the end it really is important because it it's the foundation that makes that the plants healthy and then the plants are nutritionally better and so then it makes the whole thing go yeah very interesting and that's kind of one of the bigger topics i think that um correlates kind of to what we're talking about in terms of how it translates to human health i mean is that something certainly certainly yeah, yeah 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 Because it's the the products of the animals are really a reflection of what they're eating, and so that's a reflection of what's growing on the farm, uh, you know. So that yeah, it's all tied together. I think one of my favorite quotes I can't remember who said it, it's it's the saying of it. It's not you're not what you eat. You know, you are what you eat was the thing. It's like you are what you eat eats, <laughs> and going down further down that line and. I know I've just gotten more into like looking at grass-fed sources for beef and things like that, like paying that little bit of extra for those different things as it currently is. But kind of that the scary part of that of like the hormones that can go into a cow that make them bigger. Well, then in theory, you're also ingesting that hormone, which it could be small, but yeah. is that the tipping point or that key lock that could be really putting on? You know, a huge part onto a much bigger picture, but yeah. yeah, yeah, there certainly are concerns about things like hormones and antibiotics, and you know, antibiotic resistance is something that we're seeing in medicine so much that we, you know, a lot of the antibiotics don't work well anymore because of such a widespread use. Mm-hmm. So that's that's definitely a big issue. But there's also, and we'll get into it more too, is it about there's actually differences in the nutritional content. You know, with grass fed, there's actually better different. Fatter, fat profiles, sure. all those sort of things, yeah. I don't know if we want to dive into that. Sure. We were talking about that a little bit on the way up. I followed closely the guy, Dave Asprey, he started his Bulletproof Nutrition. He's big grass-fed and fat. You know, he's, he started the whole butter-in-your-coffee <laughs> trend. I don't know if you had heard on that one a little bit. Drinking it currently, that's been my new <laughs> breakfast, but grass-fed butter, by the way. Um... But he, you know, he's a huge proponent of grass-fed this, grass-fed that. And we were just talking to another guy who's PhD, and he's out and he goes a whole different route. Posted a study that he had seen that basically showed that there wasn't a huge difference between grass-fed and grain-fed in terms of mm-hmm. nutritional profile. I tend to lean to the it there is better, and then even with going, you know, you could, you could get into ketogenics and all that with the mm-hmm. diets, but right. being able to ingest that fat from a grass-fed cow and not have to worry about it destroying your health and utilizing that as an energy source and not worrying about, like you said, the antibiotics or any of the hormones that get stored in that. Yep. So, 
I don't know where I was going with all that, but <laughs> nutritional well, no, con- it, content is, you know, what you've seen in yeah. your own time. Or yeah, research. so you've thrown out a big area, a big subject, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's good, but it's good because um, the first part of that is fat itself. Yep. We've got to talk about fat because... We've got in this country, you know, United States, we've got that we've had for 50 years a phobia about fat, about animal fat in particular. Yep. And it's really misplaced because it's it's pushed us to the carbs. And right. As you know, that's that's how you really get fat. That's how you make yeah. animals fat. That's how you make people fat is give them sugar, give them starch, and insulin makes them put more fat in their body. So yep. uh, we know a lot more about it now. Um, you know, the, the animal fats and stuff, they're finding out that, it is really important how the animals are raised, the fat profile. But in general, fat, the whole problem of fat and cholesterol has been really overstated. It's been really overstated. And there were some early researchers that really, uh, it, it goes all the way back to the 1950s. And there was, there was this guy at Minnesota uh, named Ansel Keys, and he had this, this hypothesis yeah. that the, the cholesterol and saturated fat were the big issue. And it got built into the system, and then the dietary guidelines came along where the government actually started making recommendations and it just kind of became doctrine that saturated fat and cholesterol and animal you know fat was bad for you mm-hmm. which the bigger newer studies are refuting all that the, you know the big, the human health studies are refuting that and so we've learned that it's much more dangerous to to eat margarine because of the the trans fats than, right. than sure. it is to eat good fat from from butter and stuff yeah yeah so and specifically about fats um, from animals, you know, the, the one thing we should talk about a little bit is the omega, the omega fatty, the omega fatty acids. So omega fatty acids are essential fatty acids, yep. which which they mean that means our body can't make them. We have to take them into the diet. And so there's omega six and omega three are classes. There's several different ones of each one, but they're the broad classes that the ones we talk about the most are the omega sixes, the omega three. There are omega nines. There are other ones out there, but the six and the three are the biggest part of the diet and the body can convert them to the other ones that you need. So you need some of six and three. And so we're going to talk about the six to three balance and all that. Uh, and we should keep in mind that it isn't that six is really bad in itself because we need six. We mm-hmm. need omega six. Because uh, omega three kind of comes in as the hero here, it's the good, the good one. Right. But we need both. We do need omega six, and actually, nutritionists, health professionals have kind of come to a, somewhat of a consensus that the human diet, the optimal fat ratio between six to three, would be three, two and a half to three parts mm-hmm. of omega six for one part of omega three. So we actually need a little more omega six than you know That's two right. to three times uh, omega six as omega three. Um, but the problem is the American diet in the last 20, 30 years has become so based on processed food, so based on grain, corn and soy in particular. So those grains, grains carry heavy loads of omega-6. Mm-hmm. So you put that together with recommendations to not eat animal fat, which is one of the big sources of omega-3, by the way. Omega-3 comes from fish. We always think about fish oil, and that is a great, it's, it's a super rich source, but the fact is people eat more meat and dairy in their diet than they eat fish. And so uh, the omega-3 contribution from meat and dairy are huge. It actually is bigger than fish because people eat less fish. Right. And so we've got to keep that in mind. So if we start taking you know, the diet, the old guidelines where you know, we don't want to eat animal fat, now we're not taking in omega-3. We're eating these processed foods. You know, anything with uh, corn uh, in it is going to have omega-6. 
uh, and a lot of the, the, the processed foods will have soybean oil as the oil base, and soybean oil is just loaded with omega-6. So what's happened is the human diet in, in the United States has gone to 20 or 30 or even more parts of omega-6 for one part of omega-3. Yep. And that's a problem. Sure. That's a problem. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so this, omega this, six. This is all the stuff I've read. It's so omega six is is inflammatory. That's the other thing yeah. to think about is it's pro-inflammatory. Yeah. So all these chronic diseases that we're dealing with, you know, arthritis, diabetes, cancer to some extent, heart disease, they have an inf inflammation as a part of their their way they get started. And so anything that's going to promote inflammation isn't good. So omega six is a problem in that case. Omega-3, on the other hand, shuts down inflammation. And so the more we can get towards that two and a half to three to one ratio, the, the healthier we're gonna be. Dr. David Seaman talks about, uh, big on nutrition, he talks about basically those are all the same condition. They're all inflammatory conditions. It all comes from the same place. It's just where it manifests itself, whether it's arthritis or Alzheimer's or diabetes, you know, they're all stemming from the same it's a good point. It's a good point. I, I, I used to get Newsweek magazine, and, and they had a, it's been a few years now, but they had a cover story one time called The Fires Within. Oh, and it was sure. this little graphic of, of you know, the, the little, little fires in the joints and in the heart mm -hmm. and all these places. And you're right. It's, it's, it, the inflammation is a problem. Yeah, widespread. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So then uh, when you talk about grass-fed versus grain-fed, so... Yeah. Um, I think you're going to come back to probably some studies that were done that showed that uh, grass-fed is going to demonstrate a higher omega-3 profile. Yeah, and let's go to that right now. And so it's, it's, it's um, you know, there's, there's three studies, uh, three general studies um, that we would like to talk about. And, and it's not just grass-fed. These were studies comparing organic to conventional. So there's a link because organic requires grazing. It requires pasture. Um, but this was not directly a grass-fed versus non-grass-fed. So, uh -huh. so this is organic versus conventional is what we're talking so about. So plow could still be thrown into that. There, there would or be grain-fed. The truth is, on the meat side, you know, most of the meat in this country has been coming out of feedlots, which is grain-fed. Right. You know, um, now this grass-fed movement is definitely there are non-organic grass-fed out there that's very popular in some ways. Um, but hard that to do in Wisconsin. What's that? Is that hard to do in Wisconsin with our winters? Yeah, well, you are you, you do have to feed forage uh, in in the wintertime, stored forage. So yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, it I is. Would, the, I would winter, assume it was a problem. But winter think, is a challenge or a struggle. Yeah. I just yeah, yeah. yeah. But we'll so. talk about the organic okay. and conventional. So the first one uh, came out in in uh, the at the end of 2013, and this was Washington State University did this okay. study where they looked at milk. And uh, specifically, they looked at Organic Valley milk. Uh, be, the reason being, Organic Valley doesn't really own much for processing plants. We have farmers around the country in regional pools that bring milk to a plant. And that plant will be running conventional milk, but it, it cleans all the way out overnight. And in the morning, the first run is organic. And they have to be inspected for organic and all that. Mm -hmm. So these plants are running both organic and conventional milk. They run the organic first, and then they push the conventional in the line right behind the organic. Mm -hmm. And so they, once they're done filling organic cartons, then they start pushing organic, you know, a conventional. And, and actually, the first few cartons of conventional are organic milk that was in That's the pipeline. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what they ended up doing there is they took the, the mixed milk. So this is milk coming off of the, several farms in a tanker, and they put it in what's called a silo where they're going to make the, the milk and, uh, before they pasteurize it and bottle it and all that. 
uh, and they took samples of the Organic Valley milk and the conventional milk running at the same plant. And this was a study that went for a year and a half. It was 18 months in seven regions of the country. So it was all around the country. And what they looked at was the fat content and the fat profile of the milk. And it was almost 400 samples, 384 samples. So almost 200 conventional, 200 organic. And they, what they found was a statistically significant difference. And so we've been talking about this omega six to three ratio. The conventional milk was just under six to one, so it was five point eight to one okay. of, of of the omega six to omega three. The organic valley milk running at the same plants was just under two point three to one. It was two point two eight. So, wow. yeah, it's the the ratio was definitely different. And so there's been a, in the dairy industry, there's been a long time. There's been kind of a push uh, against the the conventional that don't like organic marketing seeing the milk is different and so they've had this 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 <laughs> this, this slogan that's milk is milk it's all milk you know you can you can cook organic and whatever mm -hmm. but this first study was really scientific solid proof you know from a university that there is really a significant difference in the milk yeah wow huh? absolutely yeah. so would you say i mean comparing conventional what about um, a non organic um, typically pasture raised cows versus organic so yeah um, you yeah and that could go either way i mean as far as it would be comparable depending on what percent of grazing they do and what how much grain supplementing they do so our farmers do supplement some grain mm -hmm. although we have a class of milk that's called grass milk where they use no grain wow in that case, that milk actually gets down to one-to-one. -one. Wow. Geez. Yeah, if you take all the grain out of the diet and you feed nothing but forage, we have several herds. We, have actually, we actually have a product that's called grass milk, and there's grass milk yogurt now, and it is made from cows that never get any grain. Wow, and, and that's it tastes it, amazing too. It does, yeah. it does, it does, especially during the grazing season when they're getting the fresh grass. Oh, you know, yeah. It makes a huge difference. The, the, um, the guys that work at Cash, uh, not Cashton, but at, at Chaseburg, the butter plant, they, in the spring when, our, when the far cows start going on a pasture, they start eating grass. And of course, grass has the, um, the chlorophyll, the pigment, it has, it has like uh, the carotenes, so, mm -hmm. you know, like carrots are orange because yep. of that. Well, that's the precursor to vitamin A, and, and the milk, the fat actually turns yellower, right. and the guys churning the butter, they call, they call up the production and quality, as they say, the butter changed today, because there's a day in the spring when enough cows get, in, get pasture milk in the thing that it, the butter looks different. Very interesting. It changes, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so we make something called a pasture butter, which is only made during the summer months. And, it, and then we test it for it. And then we didn't talk about this. There's a, something called CLA, conjugated linoleic acid. Mm -hmm. It's a healthy fat. It's yep. an anti-cancer yep. fat, anti-inflammatory. Um, that, in that Washington State study, there was an 18% difference. You know, the organic was 18% higher than the conventional. But in the summertime, it's higher yet. That study was a year-round study. I need to stock up when that comes out in the summer. Yeah, no good. Uh, Sam's oh, and, stop selling and like the taste, old butter. Yeah, the yeah. taste is amazing too. Right. The taste, you know, it's darker color. It's you know, but we quality control that that butter by looking at CLA levels and actually making sure they meet the specs. We see that in the fat of the cows too, grass-fed versus. Oh, that. certainly. Certainly, you get that more yellowish color to a right, grass-fed versus right, the white right. marbling of. Your typical yeah and especially certain breeds will have more than okay. you know the jerseys they're they're higher fat content milk and mm -hmm. and, and when if you had if you did get meat from that animal it would be a there'd be a yellowish fat okay. naturally yeah yeah so you so definitely I noticed that we I purchased 
part of a quarter cow with somebody and just notice that with at least in the steaks you could see the fat was a different color than if you were to just go to your yep. local supermarket and grab a and you know americans have gotten used to when you talk steak or whatever they're used to a, a feedlot steak so grass-fed beef is different you know even though it can be finished with fat it's not usually quite as fatty mm -hmm. it's, it's a more mature animal it takes longer to grow that animal because it's not getting the grain um, so the cooking has to be different it has to be cooked more slowly it's not you know it the the real fatty feedlot ones, they can be cooked pretty fast. Mm -hmm. and, and people are used to that. It's a, it's a, almost a, a softer texture. And so a lot of people associate that with like that beef taste. But that's mm -hmm. really not a, <laughs> healthy for you uh, as, you know, something that's grass-fed with a little less fat. Uh, you know, you have to cook it a little different. But actually, you'll get more flavor in the meat itself. I had, Somebody asked me that the other day that we got talking about it. And they're like, you know, what percent lean do you buy? And I honestly couldn't answer it because going just to the co-op right. um, in La Crosse right. is where I buy a lot of my meat. I don't even know if they list it. Like, I, did, I don't even I well, don't look for it. Well, you know, we, on their we have an organic prairie does our, does our meat side for the co-op, and, and part, the biggest part of that is actually called dairy cows go into to meat, mostly hamburger mm -hmm. and ground beef. And the ground beef that we package comes out, and it's actually labeled. It's either 80-20 or 90-10. Okay. And so, uh, you know, you can get it with 10% fat or 20% fat, you know. So either either way you can get it. And I would say that a lot, you know, when you look at ground meat, ground beef uh, at the store, you know, when you look at price and you look at how red it is, the fat content, it probably goes way over 20% fat right. in some cases, you know, the, 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 the cheaper chuck, ground chuck or whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. I noticed the immediate difference in taste and enjoyed it so much more i just thought the, yeah. I, I didn't have to flavor anything yeah. else i put on. Yeah. like i just cook it up yeah. real yeah. and slow like yeah. low heat till it yeah. Yeah. cooks enough and then yeah. i don't put anything else on it and it just tastes awesome yeah yeah you get and, and that's part of the animal maturing eating pasture longer period of time is get the flavor profile mm -hmm. is, is a lot more in the meat yeah 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 interesting yeah so we didn't finish the studies. Oh, we, go, got, yeah, we got through one. Sorry, we got off yeah. on a sidetrack. But <laughs> there, there were uh, in the next two are actually the two or three. How you how you count it? It's it's this this university in England called Newcastle University, okay. um, and Newcastle has done several. Now they've done like three of these. What they call meta analysis and what a meta study or meta analysis is where you go to the the literature, and uh, usually medical literature and and. Uh, you look at studies on one topic that were all done, there's multiple studies. And as you know, especially on nutrition studies, there's conflicting studies all the time. There's like, you know, one says this, one says that. This is not the People get frustrated because they follow advice for a while and then it's like, oh, it changes. And it's like, well, yep. make up your mind. And so what these meta-analysis attempt to do is take uh, do dozens of studies and then look for trends across all the studies. So there's a lot more power, there's a lot more data in these studies. And so uh, the first one was done in 20, 2014, and this was really about um, the produce, the organic produce. And so uh, what they found, and this was 343 studies, um, and what they found, uh, the antioxidants, okay, uh, we've been talking some about the pigments. We mm -hmm. talked a little bit about carotene and stuff, but like the anthocyanins, the thing that makes a beet purple, um, lycopene, the tomato, um, there's flavonoids is a general class they're called. There's 20 to 40% higher in organic food. So 
you have more of these vitamin compounds in the food, these the antioxidants, and oxidation is another process like inflammation that over time really takes a toll on the body. You know, that's what, that's what ages cells, kills cells, is oxidation a lot of times too, you know, too. And what it is, you know, we need oxygen, but what happens is we get uh, these really reactive species of oxygen, like peroxide and things that are actually generated in tissue. And so antioxidants neutralize that. Our body has defense mechanisms. We have enzymes that, that, that deactivate those, but those enzymes need things like these antioxidants to recharge the enzyme. And so that's really important that we have these antioxidants in our diet. So they were higher. And then the other real uh, two things they found was the pesticides uh, were much lower. There were four times the, the amount of pesticides in the conventional. And, and there's been several studies where they took children and fed them an organic diet, fed them a conventional diet, fruits and vegetables, and looked at their urine for pesticides. And this has been repeated several times. And when they're on the conventional food, they've got pesticides in the urine. They go to the organic food, it goes right down. They switch the groups, it goes the other way. And so this wow. has been done several times. So, yeah, you think about it, uh, yeah, you know, you don't have to talk about it a whole lot. No, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, it's <laughs> no about it. Yeah. Cancer rates and yeah. everything you look at. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. scary. Yeah. yeah. So why do you think the, um, the difference in the, um, like, the flavonoids and all that, why do you think the difference between conventional and organic? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. And so I don't really know, but I would just, again, go back to the way things are grown. Um, you know, using, not using uh, pesticides for one thing, but, but, but also no synthetic fertilizers. So we've got to use compost. We've got to use natural sources of fertility. And so those things, and probably the plants probably grow slower, I would guess. Mm -hmm. I, I would guess that they do. I don't know for sure, but... Um, you that know, makes sense. yeah, yeah. Interesting. I was just watching the little thing outside in the lobby before we came in. It had said something that these farmers were treating it as, you know, it's art and science to do a farm, but they didn't want to do a chemistry experiment. Right. And I think that is just so huge. <laughs> and I've had this discussion. We actually talked about it. We haven't posted it yet, but like going beyond that, just like all the chemistry that you run into each day and you have no idea really that you're doing it when it comes to your shampoo and your soap and things like that and just it's a great going point. to that, it's just insane that you have deodorant. Probably most, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, aluminum. Me. You're putting aluminum on your skin. Aluminum has been associated with Alzheimer's. You right. know, it's like yeah. We, yeah. yeah. Well yeah, it's yeah. just it to me it's scary like that it just so blindly for so many years and it took me till probably the last year or two to kind of be like wait a minute <laughs> yeah and i'm not perfect by any means but like some of it's just like good god like what are we doing to ourselves and you just don't even think about it and it's no wonder we have cancer centers in in, in just right. even, even small sized towns the hospitals have a cancer center you know? yeah and, and so yeah just yeah. how much, and yeah. I think that'll be a really interesting thing if it's even something to study, like with over people, like how much can that change or go down if we right. are addressing these seemingly little things? Like who would think putting your deodorant on, deodorant on once a day right. could potentially be a reason that you're right. going to have memory problems and things like right. that when right. you're 80 right. years old? Right. Yeah. yeah, even a lot of the cosmetics and things like that. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's, there's phthalates, there's the preservatives in there. You know, there's all these things that are just not good for you. Stuff that I can say, but I have no idea what yeah. it is. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. To the layperson. Yeah, yeah. They don't yeah. think about putting it on either. They just 
don't no, noise. no, we don't. Noise. But you know, it, it, you you kind of mentioned that it's, it's scary, and and it can be a little bit. But I think it's just becoming aware more. And right. And, and yeah, we don't need to be scared. I mean, it, it's it's a little disturbing, and when we think about um, you know things being contaminated and all that, and there's really no pristine place, or and that's all kind of depressing thinking. But you know, but you know, we have defense mechanisms. Our body has True. defense mechanisms. Nature has defense mechanisms. And so, if we stop doing some of this stuff, it'll get detoxified, mm-hmm. sure. and both in our bodies and on the land. And so, if we just stop putting this stuff out there, you know, nature will take care of it. And so that's that's a hopeful sign, I think. Yeah, that is a great, yeah. great, uh, optimistic. Way yeah. <laughs> so just to finish up the studies, yeah. there there was a, actually the the third finding in that first Newcastle study was that cadmium cadmium is a heavy metal that's also not good for you. Forty eight percent less in in uh, organic. So that was a, a pretty much a, a produce type thing. Then in two, 2016, Newcastle came out with two. Actually, you could call it one or two. They looked at uh, 196 um, studies that were comparing milk uh, between organic and conventional, and they looked at 67 studies comparing meat, organic and conventional. And um, these studies, of course, it's 2016. It's a few years after the other one, so it's a little bit later in time. There's some newer studies with mm-hmm. bigger, bigger, you know, numbers and things like that. And what they found um, was o- omega-3 was up 50% uh, on average for both meat and milk in, in organic. So you get 50% more omega-3. Um, you get uh, less omega-6, 18% less omega-6 in the meat. Um, the milk um, was 46% higher in omega-3, so that's 50. We just said 50. Um, some of these, uh, CLA, 34%. So it was actually up. It was the, C- the CLA was actually more than what we saw in the Washington State Jeez. study. So just a lot of good things. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of good things, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So how how sustainable is it to, I mean, you think about like the big farms and you know your conventional crops and and the the livestock, all that. How sustainable is it for just feeding our country, or even world for that matter, but country just on a on a whole? Yeah. And that's another thing we talked about. Um, just looking at, I mean, there is a large amount of waste uh, with. Oh, a lot of food products. Oh, and, and it's yeah. a huge. Yeah, I, this is a huge can of worms. I feel like too, because there's so much money in the the big farming industries and yeah, behind the scenes. I think, but uh, how how sustainable do you think it is to to for us to feed everybody organically? Yeah. So there's two parts to what we're talking about here uh, that you've raised. Um, the one is the issue of sustainability, and the other one is the feed the world. Okay, and so we live in the world of the soundbite this these day and age, and so feed the world is is one of the soundbites that's used against organic. Mm-hmm. That the idea that if we everybody went organic, we'd starve because there's not enough food, and we you know we gotta we gotta have the GMOs, we've gotta have the sprays, right. and we're not gonna be able to feed these billions of people. Well, I think you talked a little bit about the waste, so let's let's go right at the feed the world thing. Um, right now, the world makes twice as much food as it needs. You know, there's there you know we need. Uh, 2,000 calories per person per day, we're making 4,000. So what happens to that other, it's a lot of it gets thrown away. A lot of it doesn't get to people. So wherever there's hunger, wherever there's starvation, it's usually a distribution problem where, you know, and it's uh, sadly, this is markets and money that are moving things around. And and there's an economist that actually got a Nobel Prize talking about uh, the 
famines uh, and and how it's really not that there's a shortage of food, it's a shortage of distribution. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he pointed out during the Irish potato famine, during the height of that, that famine that drove all these people to this country, when people were starving in the countryside, there were ships going down the river to London loaded with butter, loaded with, with meat, loaded with, with produce. And so it was the money was pulling the food that was there out of the out of the system, and yeah, people were starving. But it's not so much that the world is running out of food; it's the way we distribute it is part of that issue. Okay. Then the question is, do is organic really that much less productive? And in the short term, it sometimes is. When people switch from a conventional to organic model, they have to rethink the way they problem solve. They have to get their fertility up. They have to do different things. And so in the short run, sometimes the yields aren't, aren't as big, either with, with produce crops or with, with uh, animals, with milk and things like that. What we find, though, is as people get their systems going, get up to speed, they actually can produce just as much. And there's a place called the Rodale Institute in Pennsylvania. And Rodale has done a 30-year called the Farming Systems Trial. And what they've done, now it's over 30 years. They published this a few years ago. It was 30, now it's probably 33, 34. But what they, this Rodale farm has strips of ground that are alternating on the same farm. One's conventional, one's organic. And it goes all the way across this farm. And they've been doing this for 30 years. And they've been wow. looking at crop yields and stuff, and what they've found is crop yields are the same. Crop, they're over the over the average, they're the same. They what they find is that um, there's way less fossil fuel used on the organic side. Okay, so they look at the the carbon footprint mm-hmm. of, of the food, and there's actually less fossil fuel. Um, and what they found is really interesting during the dry years, the organic outproduces the conventional because during the dry years, that organic soil has more organic matter. The carbon actually holds more moisture. The little bit of rain they do get in a dry year, the plants do better. And so in a dry year, the organic out yields, even the, the supposedly drought-tolerant crops the GMOs are trying to put out there, the organic out yields it because the soil is better. Wow. Yeah. So this is kind of a myth, the feed the world thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, if you're opposed to organic, it's kind of easy to pop that out there and, and think you got really got something. But, you know, for one thing, we're not running out of food. We're, we do have hungry people, and it's not because we don't have enough food. It's right. not getting to them. You know, the other thing is we can grow food organically. Now, it's, it's not going to change overnight. You know, we're still a small part. You know, we're in that 5 to 10% range now, which mm-hmm. is really huge because we were looking at 1% or less than 1%. Right. When we got to 1%, people were like, well, yeah, you know, okay, you're 1%. Well, now we're in that 5 to 10% range, depending on what crop you look at and things. Uh-huh. But it's still, you go across, you know, uh, the Corn Belt and you look at, you know, the thousands and millions of acres of, you know, corn and soybeans. And I think one of you year talked a little bit about, about how there's some, there's programs and stuff. So some of the things about government getting involved is politically, it's better to have cheap food. And so we have all these programs that promote overgrowing some crops and it, it distorts everything. You know, markets are okay by themselves, but right. when you start putting you know, subsidies and things, you really distort the picture. Yeah, it's yeah. complicated. So yeah. what do you, it's growing, so what do you foresee in the future? I mean, is that trend going to continue? Do you, I mean, at, at what point, I mean, is it going to keep going? Or is we it certainly gonna, think so. We yeah. certainly, you know, it, it, we see leveling offs at different times. You know, we, during the big recession, you know, 2009, we yeah. got a leveling off. It was really amazing because a lot of businesses were down that year, you know, 50, 60, 70% different businesses. Our business, our sales were off 1%. Wow. So the people that are buying organic are loyal. Right. Okay. We, but yeah. there's this growth, which 
goes a little bit in spurts. Right now we're in a flat phase. Okay. You know, our, our, we're actually, we're not growing right now that much, but we really see long-term, the trend is up, up, up. It just keeps going up, you know? And I think people are learning more about food. They're learning, and you know, one of the arguments against organic is it costs too much, you know, mm -hmm. it costs too much. Well, what does healthcare cost you? Oh my God, that's a hard <laughs> yeah. argument. We can do a whole other episode <laughs> yeah. And there is a link. There yeah. is a link. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And we've talked. There, there's health insurance gonna be. There's gonna have to be a shift. Oh yeah. In the healthcare system at oh, some yeah. point, and yeah. I, I know a couple of guys that we both follow, really, really smart guys, and they're like, whoever can get it figured out to get on the other side of when that thing starts going, and be the first one in. <laughs> They're going to do really well for themselves in terms of looking at a, like you've talked about, a preventative model. Right. But right. that was kind of tying into that. I was, you know, the growth of it. Is that something like Organic Valley or just, does that, do they help with farmers that are interested in it that are kind of on the fence of like, knowing that they're going to probably have to decrease their yields, which is going to put stress on them and their family and everything like that, you know, those first years. Is that the biggest? Certainly, we, we have a lot of staff in the field that work directly with farmers, mm -hmm. recruiting farmers to become organic. Um, and really, what sometimes drives farmers to look at organic are economics, of course. Right. And so, right now, the conventional milk price is quite low. It had been pretty high for you know several years, and so a lot of the conventional guys were happy with where they were at. Now, with the lower conventional price, the organic price has stayed high. Now, a lot of people want to convert to organic, but we have enough right now. We we're bringing on three hundred farms in the next in the next year or so. Wow. You know, next, and so we have new farmers coming on all the time. Uh, and we support them. We educate them. Yep. We, 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 you know, we talk about what alternatives, what they need to treat with, how they can prevent diseases, um, and they can learn from our other farmers. You know, and so it, it's 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 a constant learning process. Yeah, because it's expensive, from what I've seen in a couple of different documentaries, to get officially. Like, so yeah, it's not, or it's not an easy process. Well, the land is three. Efficient. The land is three years. Three years with no prohibited materials. Mm -hmm. You know, and then a, a dairy farm can do a one-year transition with their cattle, but they would have okay. to feed organic feed for a year and sell conventional milk. So that's a huge hurdle. Mm -hmm. That's a especially when the milk price is low. Right. So we do actually supplement. We actually do pay a little bit of a, a okay. extra, extra to those farmers that are transitioning. So we actually pay them. To, uh, it's not enough to cover it, but it, it but it helps. With it helps ease the pain. It helps ease the pain that's exactly. Awesome. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's, that's what it yeah. takes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, what are uh, some things that uh, you do for the health? I know that's yeah. one question that we had for uh, yeah. the animal health in terms of you know there's not. Antibiotics, is, is right? That correct. Like my understanding is that there's an organic cow, and it uh, you're doing these methods that you you know try to prevent it without. If it has to be to that point to save the animal or something for antibiotics, that cow has to then go into the conventional market. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So in the United States, the the National Organic Program, the NOP, is what you know they they set the rules. And so the U.S. NLP has chosen that there's it's a no antibiotic, and it doesn't mean you don't ever use antibiotics. Like you said, Kyle, if 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 the cow is really sick and she's not responding to the natural treatment, so we we have garlic, we have different uh, mm -hmm. plants that are you know a lot of it's funny a lot of the herbs are antibacterial, oregano, uh, thyme, all these things they have essential oils in them. Essential oils turn out to be antibacterial, so a lot of our our natural herbal products 
uh, are antibacterials. In, what's different about them, and I'm kind of digressing here, but <laughs> it, it, they do have mixtures of compounds, and mm -hmm. so it's not like an antibiotic is one single compound. So a bacteria can mutate and, and overcome that one compound easy, but if it's got a 20 or 30, garlic has over 30 different antibacterials. So no bacteria can figure out how to do 30 changes at once. So the resistance doesn't go up with these herbal things. But you're right. If, it, if that didn't work, the farmer can't say, no, I'm not going to treat it with antibiotics that I don't want to and let it die. If it really needs it. And this is a very small, doesn't happen very often. But I, I'll even advise in a re really tough case sometimes that they use that antibiotics. That animal is marked. And when the antibiotics are out of it, it's sold to conventional market. It's gone. It's not organic anymore. In Canada and Europe, the organic programs do allow antibiotics with extended withdrawal times. Okay. So you hold the animal for a real long time, the antibiotics beyond what conventional would do, and then you can still keep it organic. That's not in the U.S. So some people looking at U.S. organic say, well, you guys are too tough. You, you know, that, that's really not uh, reasonable because we're going to lose animals and so forth. Well, that's what Dr. Paul and I spend a lot of time teaching people that that's not true. You know, there are alternatives you can use. You're not going to lose a lot of animals, you know. And so I really think it's a good thing that the National Organic, the U.S. program, did draw this line in the yeah. sand, and especially where this whole discussion is going now with antibiotics and bacterial resistance. And, you know, antibiotics aren't evil. Nope. You know, I had Lyme disease one time, and I took the doxycycline sure. for a month, and man, I'm glad I did. Like, it, no just, it, just, it just came right around, you know. Yeah. So it, when you need them, it, it's nice to have them have them work. So right. we're not saying antibiotics are evil. It's just right. it's just the overuse of them, you know. And, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I worked with a doc one time, strep throat, everybody up throwing an antibiotic, and he firmly believed that it didn't actually do anything. Mm -hmm. it, it, strep throat was not of antibiotic necessity, but it just made people feel better, so they were always throwing people on it, and that's the kind of stuff that it's like, yeah, why? Yeah, and a lot of it's these strep is a bacteria, so that's, there's a little rationale there, but there's a lot of people that go in with sniffles, and it's a, it's a viral, you know, it's a, oh, it's, know you know, uh, it's, it's a, it's a virus, and you did, the antibiotics aren't doing anything for right. the virus, you know, the, right. the immune system's got to take care of that, you know, so... And I've had the unfortunate for the kids that have had it, they go and all of a sudden they get C. difficile. Well, they've been on, you know, for sinus infections yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah. Just basically taking antibiotics like they're a multivitamin and yeah. get caught up to them. And then it's just kind of like, now you're in trouble a little bit. Like, Well, you certainly upset your normal flora, you yeah. know. And I think we're learning more and more about the importance of the bacteria that are in us and on us, you know. And I think there's some really fascinating things we're learning about you know, that we actually, the bacterial by cell number is, mm -hmm. is 10 to 100 times what our body cells are. You know, we have that many bacteria in us right. and on us, you know. That's so, pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, and so it's really about, and if, you, if you're on a, a real strong antibiotic, you're going to wipe out some of your gut flora. And that's, right. that's going to, you know, your gut is really important for health. And so that's a big issue. Off of that, i got a kind of a random question. Just <laughs> yeah. as we talk about different things, you know, like probiotics and prebiotics. Yeah. Are kind of there have always been around and kind of yep. a hot topic for people. Yep. Is that something that you guys ever look at? Is that oh, we use a lot. We love them. Uh, okay. And, and they are a lot. In terms of like supplementation for the animal yep. or anything like that. Yeah. Whenever they're slow on eating, whatever we like probiotics. Okay. That, that helps a lot. In, in raising calves, a lot of times probiotics are really helpful. We, um, you know, yogurt's good, but what's even better is kefir. And okay. so we do a lot of kefir. I, I do kefir at home. I'm a big believer in it. Um, so you know, it's, it's, it's like yogurt with yeast in it. And so you've got these grains and you ferment the milk. And 
I think that's a really, really uh, a neat thing. And we have people that raise calves on kefir, and they, okay, they, wow. do, they do tremendously. They actually, you know, it's one of the things when people start doing it, they go, wow, I wish I would have done this a long time ago. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. Is that I something, any yeah. supplementation, like, is that like a, does that exist in the world of, like, veterinarian as, like, it has kind well, of... Well, probiotics are, you know, probiotics are, uh, you know, and I actually, when I was in, first started practice, I, I learned this lesson early on because we would get um, what they call calf scours, where young calves are, have diarrhea, and they, at that time, the, the, the treatments, so I started in 1987, the, the treatments were oxy, or not oxy, but tetracycline and sulfa pills. So you had these pills in little jars, and you would give them to a farmer and say, give the calf, you know, a couple of these pills twice a day or whatever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Then there was a product that came out. It was a probiotic. It was the first one that I remember um, called Probios, and it was a powder. And we had started using that, and, and I started dispensing that to farmers, say, with calf scar problems, and say, hey, add this to the milk. And guys that had consistently had a lot of problems, they just put it in a sort of a preventative, and mm-hmm. it, the results were way better than the antibiotics. So sometimes it's better to promote the good guys and try to kill the bad guys. For sure. Yeah. Prevention. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. So what, um, going back to the soil. Yes. What are some measures that are taken to uh, improve the quality of the soil as opposed to, you know, organic versus conventional? Yep. Um, because I know fertilizers are huge, and especially like with certain crops, like yeah, I don't know around like in this area, there's a lot of apple orchards, and they just get dumped with with chemicals and fertilizers and pesticides and all that. So yeah, yeah. What are what are some yeah. things that are done organically besides maybe just like yeah? Before we get into the specifics, let's talk a little bit about soil because soil. I think the concept uh, that is something we have to change in our mind uh, how we think about soil because we think about soil a lot of times as dirt, mm-hmm. and we think of it as kind of an inert a place where plant roots grow, you know, you buy bags of soil, this sort of thing. Um, but soil really is a living, breathing community. It's full of life. It's full of, you know, we've been talking about microorganisms. Well, there's just unbelievable amounts of microorganisms, mm-hmm. but there's also, there's uh, insects, there's invertebrates, there's, there's, there's worms, there's a lot of biology in soil. So I think we have to step back and t- think about the soil as being an ecosystem, a community, whatever term you want to use, it's way more complex, it's way more alive than what we thought about in the mm-hmm. past. And so that, you know, kind of feeds into what you do to the soil. And if you're thinking the soil is inert and, and you, you know, and I'll give it to the plant scientists, uh, the agri- agronomic people, they have figured out how to grow a lot of corn and a lot of co- soybean, but they know what what chemicals to put on to feed that plant. Now, nutritionally, what is it plant really that good for you? Is it, but we do know the soil is different. The soil doesn't have the amount of organic matter. Okay, so organic matter is a big thing. That's, that's the decay of the living, living parts. And that has these um, things called humic acids or humates in it. And those, those are the real breakdown products. It's the stuff that makes your, like, you know, your topsoil that's nice and black and mm-hmm. stuff that makes it dark, okay? And that is a, it binds, uh, you know, things, it binds toxins, it also uh, holds trace minerals and things like that. It's a real important part, but it holds water. And so having more organic matter, more humus, you hold more water. We have these torrential rains. The last couple of days we've had these big rains. We've had a wet summer. Um, you know, I was just out on the uh, West Fork of the Kickapoo yesterday uh, with a guy in a kayak, and the thing's running brown. And you look at, uh, you know, 
natural areas where there's vegetation, you know, four, five, six feet tall, mm -hmm. why is that river running brown? It shouldn't be running brown. Yeah, we had two, three inches of rain, whatever, overnight. Uh, we had a lot of rain, but there's a lot of dirt coming off of fields, off of corn fields, I would guess, corn mm -hmm. and soybean fields, because there's a lot of dirt between the plants and it's washing into the river. And that is a big problem. That's a big problem. So how do you measure the soil health? You know, we look at, we do look at nutrients that are there. We look at minerals. Uh, the organic farmers tend to look uh, at calcium a lot more seriously than the conventional would look at that. And they call it, we call it NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Those are the big three that people are supplementing synthetically, and that's what they look at. We look a little, dive a little deeper into calcium because we find that that's important, bringing trace minerals in and things like that. And so we would look at some of those other minerals. Uh, sulfur is very important um, for protein quality. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's a lot of different things that we'd look at. We'd look at the organic matter. There are biological tests, but they're hard to do. There are some things that, there's one that looks at how much bacterial activity act there is. That's a little quicker test, but there are, have been labs that actually take a soil sample and look at how much uh, different critters are in there and stuff, and that's a very expensive test. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so it, there's a lot of different ways to measure it, but uh, you know, it's one of these things where you, you can see it when it's going the right way. You can feel it. You know, the soil gets crumbly. It gets like cottage cheese. Uh, go to a conventional cornfield sometime. When you're going down the road this time of year, there's all this big corn. Mm -hmm. Step out of your car and just walk into that field and look. And it's real interesting because, well, yeah, and, and the thing is, well, of course, it's shaded. There's the corn is planted so close together, it's hard to get between. But go in there and look and see what that ground looks like. And it's about as hard as this table, okay? Mm -hmm. It's just rock hard and there's no weeds. You know, very little weeds because all the, all the pesticides, the herbicides that are used. And so it's corn and, and that can withstand the herbicides and there's very little life there. You go into an organic field, and especially a pasture, you can't hardly find the dirt because there's so much plants, there's so many plants, you know, together. Mm -hmm. The soil has a whole different structure. It has a different feel when you walk on it. There's worms when it rains, all those things. So yeah. I've got weeds growing in my garden. Yeah. That's a decent thing, and I shouldn't be so upset. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> it, it's a matter of degree. So weeds are, you know, you know it's a, like, what's the definition of a weed? So uh, that's true. If I've got things that I didn't plant that are growing in there, <laughs> something's going okay. <laughs> Yeah, so dairy farmers only a definition of weed is something a cow won't eat. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, some things have to be controlled. But the weeds actually have a purpose because they all have different root structures, okay. and they reach down and grab minerals and things. Now there's some real noxious weeds that we definitely want to control. You right. know, the, the giant ragweed and stuff like that. Okay. We, don't, we don't want to let it go to seed and get out of control because it or mustards and things like that. They take over, you know. Mm -hmm. But weeds in general, we don't. Um, we don't focus on the weeds as much. Well, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of that thing where we talked about the bacteria. Yeah. You cultivate there, you, you promote the good guys and don't worry about killing the bad guys. That's that's kind of the organic approach. Interesting. And the good stuff grouds out the bad stuff. I saw online that you've got a, a talk where you do about biodiversity and how important that is. And yeah. That was interesting. It's Very huge. It's huge. And I think we're it's, every day we're seeing that's being more and more important. I think uh, that's a really under thought about underappreciated thing is biodiversity mm -hmm. and so um, we look at the corn belt and we look at states across state and I took a trip to Ohio a few weeks ago and uh, going across Illinois and Indiana uh, you know all this what we call monoculture one plant mm -hmm. uh, for millions and millions of acres that is no diversity and you don't see the birds you don't see the insects you don't see any of the other life the whole ecosystem needs diversity so 
it's again it starts with the soil having a lot of different things in the soil but then a lot of different plants help too you know the the we really like pastures with dozens and dozens of plants and and so um, cows have an ability to select plants that are medicinal and that that seems kind of crazy but this goes way back to the 1800s there's a guy in in the uk that he had he would make these pastures called herbal lays l-e-y and that would just mean a very diverse pasture with a lot of these so-called weeds, but right. some of them are like plantain and chicory yeah. and all these different plants. And, and again, they have different minerals in them, but they also have different alkaloids and things. They have medicinal properties. Some of them are anti-parasitic. They kill worms and stuff. And what he found is if you had this really diverse lay, this little paddock, that if you had a sick cow, you just let her go in there and she kind of self-medicates. She roots around and finds the, the plants that she needs and she eats them. And so we like to offer diversity and let our animals select rather than Incredible. mixing rather than mixing up a feed i don't know if you ever saw this study did you ever see the study of this this woman that back in the, in during the depression she did a study in chicago she was a canadian nutrition she was a doctor she was so she was really you know being a woman a doctor at that time but she was a pediatrician and she did a nutritional study in an orphanage in in chicago yeah. where they took these these orphans and they were babies they were infants and as soon as they started eating solid food Rather than feed them the normal diet or whatever, she just offered a smorgasbord of different foods. Mm -hmm. And these kids would eat. It's very controversial in the diet, dietitian world right now whether this was really, you know, good study or not. Right, right. But it was really fascinating because kids that had deficiencies that needed something, they would key on that food. And she just offered all these different foods. And they ate an amazingly balanced diet when they offered all this food. And just so, on their own. Doing just on their own. So I think that goes back to us. And your body tells you what is good and when you take it in and you know you have a craving for things and stuff and and i think we need to pay attention to that sure just being able to listen and knowing how you feel afterwards yeah yes yes that's a key i know when i eat yeah clean or better what i would consider eating a better day everything just runs smoother i feel better my body functions better and then when i have my day where i'm in a hurry so it's grabbing something i know it's not as good I mean, yesterday was a perfect example. I was done by 9.30. I wanted to go to bed. <laughs> I wanted nothing else to do with that day. But if I had... Yeah, or you eat that day, fast food, and an hour later you go, why did I do that? It's a 2 yeah, o'clock like, yeah. 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 If I but, eat a good lunch, I don't have that yeah. 2 o'clock where I'm just like, oh, my God, what's going on? Yeah. Like, I you just power through it because your body's not having to deal with all of it. I think what interferes with our body, being able to sense and, and, and go with that is we've... You know, the food industry has put so much sugar, salt, and some fats in food that people have gotten used to those flavors that mm -hmm. overpower everything. And so that kind of masks your discrimination with your body really picking good foods. If right. you're if you're really True. used to sugar and salt and certain fats, you know, that's where the junk food just has that certain, you know, appeal. But you're right. What does the body say hour two three hours mm -hmm. later what does it say you know what what, is, what did you do to me <laughs> yeah right the right. sweet and salty mix they yeah. got you they right. know how to get you they right. make a lot of money on yes they do right right yeah. so did we cover the soil pretty much yeah i think do? that that's okay. good i okay. mean you you kind of hit on too how important that translates into the the table yeah. the plate you know yeah what we get yeah and uh, diversity you know i don't i don't want to let that one go either because 
it's not just the plants, it's also, you know, a lot of our herds have, have crossbreed cattle, so there's a lot of different diversity in the mm -hmm. cattle. I really like a farm that has diverse enterprises, where it actually has some chickens and hogs and some crops and some cattle. And, yeah. you know, the, the old farms, you know, 50, 100 years ago were very diverse. And so we've, we're, we're kind of a nation of specialists now. We all got to specialize oh, in little tiny, tiny little yeah. areas, you know. And I think that diversity... All through, you know, the organizations, the diversity of people you right. have. Our, this co-op is a diversity of farmers. We have, you know, people very conservative, very, you know, whatever, progressive, whatever yeah, you want yeah. to call it. We have Amish. We have, you know, we it's have... It's good to have those different mixes, though. And it's healthy. Yeah. It's healthy. When you have that diversity, it's healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in nature, that's what gives it resilience. That's what gives it disease resistance. You don't see, you know, a bunch of starlings coming in to a, a prairie they go to a big cornfield you know they go to a monoculture you, you know when you see these things in nature when they just get way out of hand it's you know these uh in forestry mm -hmm. this spruce budworm well you got monocultures of spruce trees that go on for millions of acres what do you expect you know some bug's going to figure it out and it's just yeah. going to go to town oh, you know yeah. and right. and you go into some of these pine plantations and you don't hear any birds you know, I don't know if you've ever been to like these these even Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. You know where they grow uh, red pines in in a in a sandy area, and these pines will get a tall canopy, and then they let their needles down, and so there'll be a, a a duff of needles six inches thick. So nothing grows on the ground. There's these big pine trees. You don't hear a bird. You don't hear anything. So there's no diversity. Diversity in everything is really important. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah. You go to a natural area. You go to a park. You know, state park, national park. You're going to see hundreds and thousands right. of plants. You know. And animals, yeah. Absolutely. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Hmm. Do you have anything else? I'm just digesting everything that yeah, I've covered. Do you want to go on to the clinically pressed ones, yeah, the, the final question? Sure, sure. If you're ready, we're hitting yeah. right around an hour, so. Yep, good. Um, the first one we have, and it's very general, but something that we probably covered in this talk, but something that you believe in that others may not. There's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll go with the one category, which we haven't talked about. Okay. And that is about our attitude and our mental state. And that is the most important aspect of health for people. It's the most important thing, is what your mental attitude is, what your, your state, you know, mm -hmm. your, your anxiety level or, 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 or satisfaction level, whatever you want to call it. Yep. That the mind-body connection is so strong in people. It is so strong that we, you know, I really believe, and a lot of people aren't going to believe this, you know, that illnesses are sometimes warnings to us to, to slow down or to change or to do something, you know. And so I think, you know, that that whole mind connection, I think that that's something we need to appreciate and think about. And so if, if, we're, if our life it has a lot of stress in it or something, we got to take care of that, mm -hmm. you know, because if you don't address that, you're going to get sick. You know, you can eat, you can exercise, everything else. But if you're not happy, you know, if you're not if you're not peace, you're at peace with things, then you're gonna have trouble. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, great advice. Yeah. So, what are your tips for kind of having that? Uh, the biggest thing, which in you know, the, one of the questions at the end here is about a book. We'll talk about a couple books, but um, but uh, people think too much, and so we got to shut off our brain. Uh, which is, you know, kind of 
counter <laughs> counterintuitive because we think we're so smart <laughs> yeah. know, and we can figure everything out. Yeah. But uh, we overthink things too much. I and like constant chatter that's always there. Yeah, that's exactly it, that chatter, that chatter. And so well, it's not your Twitter feed to always have something. Oh, that you know, and you're so distracted. I you don't know? watch the news anymore or read newspapers just because it's always depressing. I don't. Yeah. What do you need in yeah. some of that stuff in your life? Yeah. Well, and you know, we spend so much time in the past and in the future. And we're only here right now. Right? This, is, this is it. So don't waste your time beating yourself up for something that happened in the past. Right. And don't waste your time worrying about something in the future because it ain't here yet. Yeah. Now, that, that's easy to say because we've got to, you know, you, right. had, you had to get here this morning. You had to, yeah, we, had to, sure. we had to yeah, get up. We had yeah. we got to live your life. You got to follow, you know, the calendar and stuff. But don't let your mind run away with you. Yeah, don't let it consume you. know, wherever, whatever you're doing, be there and do it. For sure. You know, that's that's a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, that presence. Yeah. I, I agree. It's tough, that, that it's that tough but it, it is great yeah. advice. Yeah. Just curious, is one of the books, The Power of Now? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you know you know uh, Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, that's okay. That's probably my top recommendation for a book, actually. Yeah. And you know what? Um, the Power of Now and, and also A New Earth. He's got the newer book that he made, The New Earth. So those two books by Eckhart Tolle are really good. The problem with those books is a lot of people don't get it. And so because, they, because the chatter is so strong in their mind, they can't read it. They get into it and they go, it just, just doesn't make any it's sense. It's not a fast read. You kind of have to... No. And it's not something you plow through, that right. whole thing. You can pick right. it up and you can read one page anywhere and you can go back and read it again whenever. Uh -huh. So I actually had the tapes because oh. we do. I drive a lot. Yeah. And so the CDs. So I spent a lot of time listening to it. And I've listened to both of those books about six or eight times. Wow. And I just, and actually when I go home today, I'll listen to it again. Because there, it's so rich. Every little conversation is so rich that you've learned new things each time. I can totally those are, see those that. are the best ones. Yeah, I remember when I was reading that. I mean, it was life changing for me because yes. just being aware of that chatter and like when I read that, it was just like it, it just opened my eyes. It was like, yep. oh my god, like, yep. wow, yep. and it just yep. it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, it was <laughs> unreal. Like I, my entire life up until that point, I, I it was there and I didn't even realize it. And yeah, and like it's just like wow, it was yeah. just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it is a life change. It is really life changing, and so and I would right. say for me too, the last two years, it's it's been the biggest change for my life too, and it really has. And so you know, one of the questions is about your is about going back ten years. What would you do? Yeah, jump you know, right and, into it. And I, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and I, I, I would rely less on um, you know, as far as and I think it was directed towards lessons and learning or whatever. Yep. And, and 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 I I would rely less on traditional learning modes and really uh, live this way, be present. And learn from whatever situation you're in. You know, learn from the people because you can learn so much from people. Mm -hmm. uh, and any situation is just really take pay attention to what's going on around you, yeah. as you can because so much goes by. There's so many things people don't see. There's so many things that are right under our nose that you know we just don't get. So that whole approach, I think, that being present, I think that's that's a big thing. Yeah. We were chatting about that even coming in, just looking at like how this is placed back in the bluffs and the rolling hills and just how gorgeous that is and then I think about like when I'm sitting out at football practice we get a view of the bluffs every day like, yeah how do I not just sit there at least for a little <laughs> yeah bit exactly and just, like, take that in that that is what I get to look at every day when I'm out of practice like exactly you just take that stuff for granted so quickly it's you see so that's that's being grateful mm -hmm. and thankfulness and that that great 
mindfulness, that actually builds into your positive mental attitude. For sure. Because that, that's a big life changer right there when you're grateful. And when challenges come, also accept it. Accept the situation. Now, if you can change it, if you, can, if you, if you want to need to move out of that situation, if there's something you can do to change the situation, have at it. Yeah. But if there's a situation you don't have power to change, accept it totally, and then the solutions will come. If you don't, because if you say this should not be happening, hey, it's happening. You're resisting. You're resisting. Yeah. yeah. And so you've got to give up that resistance. Yeah. And almost being grateful. I just finished another book that talked about being grateful for that challenge almost and just having an yes. approach of just like telling yourself the best possible story, no matter what it is. Like you're going to have challenges no matter what. But looking at that challenge um, and, and seeing it, being grateful for it and being like, hey, how can I turn this? The truth and the challenge is that it's what you need at this point in time for your development. It's it's the challenge that you need to overcome. That that's the way it works. Is that and this came out of Tully too. Is that is that you have the exact challenge that you need to work through. Yeah. And when you see people that really irritate you, the other thing is is you know if whatever irritates you, think about what's irritating you and think about that in yourself because really a lot of times it's what you have inside mm-hmm. of you that yes. you don't like in the other person. Yeah, that's, a hard one. <laughs> exactly. that's a hard one. That's a hard one. Exactly. Do, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 So uh, to the book, you know, we talked about Tully and all that. And, yeah. and, and some people just will have a hard time with it. And I would say what really helped me, the bridge that got me to Tully was was uh, Letting Go by David R. Hawkins. Okay. It's called Letting Go. David R. Hawkins is a uh, psychiatrist. He's a medical doctor that does, you know, mm-hmm. psychology things. And, and, um, it's about this acceptance. It's about forgiving yourself. It's about not hanging on to grievances, you know, letting go, that whole concept. And I think that if people have trouble with power of now, uh, I would go to letting go first. Okay. Yeah. And I, it, it, I think it's, it can really be a life changer. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, there's a whole chapter in there called uh, Physician Heal Thyself. Oh, and, yeah? Yeah. Okay. And it's all, about, it's all about how your mental state determines. And the other thing is, you know, like if you, if you have an illness... Don't allow that label. Right. Because that's a program. You know, I'm a cancer patient. Well, yeah. now I'm in, I'm in a cancer mode. I'm going to do all these things because I'm a cancer patient. I'm living that reality. Yeah, you know, you right. don't don't go with those labels. I'm talking to a lot of our athletes about that when they're so bummed out about it. It's like, if you're going to have a crappy attitude, this is going to last for weeks. If you think yeah. about your body healing itself and this is yes. just something to get stronger. Yes. I've seen kids turn around faster than you ever would have thought but they've got to stay positive about it or else it's just going to consume them and then you're going to be hurt for the rest of your career that's exactly right you can overcome so many things and the other thing is listening to your body so so if you are hurt you know you you don't push through that pain if it's really if the body has that for a reason to protect itself for sure yeah 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 i think the last one that we haven't really covered is is the most influential or most bang for your buck fitness oh yeah health purchase for yeah i kind of struggled with that because i'm not a gadget type guy too much but i i did settle on my uh my merrill uh, hiking shoes okay (laughs) (laughs) they're they're the most comfortable shoes that i've ever had i've been wearing them for about five or six years now that's like the second or third pair but i just as much as i can wear those tennis shoes in every pretty much every situation it's amazing and you and walking more mm-hmm. because of that you know yeah, i think cool. i travel a lot so there's a lot of sitting in, in planes or sitting in cars or whatever but uh you know park the car a little further away yeah use the stairs in the hotels yep. even if you're on the fourth floor you know it makes a huge difference mm-hmm. you know 
But they're pretty durable too. Yeah. My son had a pair of Marilyn's yeah. and they lasted. He hard yeah. on shoes. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. I, these ones here are probably five years old. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Now I've got a second pair of breaking in because these aren't really good enough to wear. To, you know, they're kind of getting to where they don't look that great. Oh. Okay. So I got a nicer pair. That's but <laughs> they, but they, they're not as comfortable as this pair. Sure. They tend, yeah. you know, they fit your foot after a while. Right. You know. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. Yeah, but it's I, hard to put a price on a good pair of footwear, though. Oh, Something it's amazing! Well I've never seen a shoe so comfortable. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, good deal. Well, Anything I mean, else you want to hit or cover? I think we've hit it all, guys. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I think there's a lot of good stuff here, and you know, um, boy, we don't know all the answers, you know, <laughs> but but just stay open to what you're doing and and where you're at, and you know, and be there for sure, and it it'll work. Yeah. In closing, if people want to find out more about you or stuff you're doing or within Organic Valley, what yeah, I would say you know the Organic do? Valley website is probably a good place to start. There's, okay. there's all kinds of consumer information there, and so if you want to learn more about the products, about how they're, you know, we've got a lot of this information we went over about the healthiness and mm -hmm. different things, but um, the the website, if somebody wanted to get a hold of me, that'd probably be the best way too. Is okay. just this a consumer? Uh, there's a there's a hotline number that's okay. the 800 number on the website. Um, and if they just leave a message and say they want to get a hold of Dr. Guy, uh, um, I'll get back with you. You know, leave, leave me a phone number or an email and I'll, I'll call awesome. back, you know. But yeah. Sounds be good. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank You're welcome. Time. Thanks good for coming silence. today. Yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks for coming. It's really good to see you guys. Yeah. yeah. Good deal. Yeah. All right. Cool. Sweet. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. You're welcome. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you for checking out this episode of Clinically Press. Go to clinicallypress.com for full show notes and links to everything that was covered in this episode. While you're there, you have access to all of our episodes, insights, and shorts. You can find Clinically Press on YouTube and any, any other podcast outlet. If you could give us a rating, thumbs up, or review on how we are doing, we would greatly appreciate it. To get more free content delivered to your inbox, sign up for Total Athletic Therapy Newsletter. You'll get direct links to all Clinically Pressed episodes, reviews on some of the latest research in health and performance, and links to related podcasts and other items meant to help you make the complicated, simple, and optimized performance. Thank you for listening, and see you next episode.